genre, but more it's like how we can work together. And um, my outline for the, for the whole thing is in the next slides, and it says I want to just visit Christianity in the last 100 years to give us the context and the background to what I want to say, and then I want to help us answer some of the questions as who are the people involved in missions today? And uh, what is their cultural perspective? Where do they come from? What kind of background? And how we can work together in a Christ-like manner. So if we look into the, um, the next slide, and uh, we look at missions in the last 100 years. You know, the, Western, the, Western, the modern missionary uh, movement from the West has been overwhelming, overwhelmingly successful. Uh, even with all the problems in the mission field, the mistakes that people make, the weaknesses, the oversights, the inadequacies, and even sins. Yes, you know, there were sins as well involved in some of the mission work. The Western church has been successful in transplanting the Christian faith to the rest of the world. If you look at this map here in front of us, in the turn of the 19th century, you see in the yellow colored area, those are where countries with high percentage of Christians. North America, South America, because of the, um, the Catholics from Spain that brought Christianity into Latin America, and then Australia, parts of Russia, and the Orthodox Christians in those places. This is the, Christian, the, the, the map of the Christian world was basically what you see in front of you, and Africa, India, China, the Central Asia, and uh, the Middle East were shaded in darker colors. These are the places with very little uh, Christians, less than 1% to 2% of the population are professed to be Christians. Then the missionary effort were, were focused in those areas. I think William Carey was one of those who went to India. Hudson Taylor went to China, and there were many people, Livingstone and all, went to Africa. And then in the next PowerPoint, you will see that 50 years later, those darkened areas becomes light, became lighter as Christianity penetrates into those countries. And um, Latin America and North America continue to hold strong. And then you see a slight fading in Australia and Russia in the Christian population. In Africa, at the turn of the 19th century, there were only 7 million Christians in the whole continent of Africa. By 1975, there were 75 million Christians in Africa. And this is what you see in 1950. And then in the year 2000, you see that Africa has become a Christianized um, continent, except for certain parts of um, the Northwest Africa. And then China and India, you see that uh, populations of Christianity has grown to over 20-30% in some places. And then you see that Europe and you know, the Christian population has gone down uh, from 90 over percent to about 50-60%. And the same went to North America and also to Australia. And according to the author Patrick Johnstone, he projected that by the year 2050, and this is what you will see, that half of Africa Will be, uh, will be Christianized or will be evangelized. And um, that it is estimated that in Africa, by the year 2050, there will be 500 million Christians in Africa alone. South America, North America, Europe, 
they call it the prodigal Europe, the Christian population will go down. And China and India, you will see that more and more people are coming um, to faith in Christ. And um, so this is what we've seen. The uh, Western missionaries have done in the last 100 years. They have successfully transplanted the Christian faith to the rest of the world. And because the Christian faith is never meant to be kept to oneself, but shared with others, the non-Western church, the people from the majority world, after receiving the blessings of the gospel, must now take seriously the responsibility of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth in fulfillment of Acts chapter 1-8. You know, Acts 1-8 says, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And the wonderful news is that the non-Western church is obediently responding to this call. But who are these missionaries? And where they come from, from the global south? And then this is a new thing in the mission world, where we see that more and more people from non-traditional mission-standing countries are now taking part in the mission work. So let's take a look at who these people are. And... Um, you know, what are they, who are the people involved in the mission work today? My next um, chart here says that if you look at this graph, the percentage of missionaries way back in 1902, the, the lighter pink are the Europeans, the darker pink are the Americans, and then the blue color ones are Latin America, and then the yellow ones are Asians, and the darker brown are Africans, the lighter blue are Polynesians, these people from the non-West world represents only 8% of the total missionary force just about 110 years ago. And then they move on to the 1950s and 60s where the student movement were very active. They were sending out missionaries from the West to many places. I came to faith through the work of missionaries that came to Singapore. And then in the 70s, you see the sudden growth of the churches in Asia and in Africa, and by the year 2010, 57% of the missionaries in the world today come from people from the non-traditional missionary sending countries from the majority world. And Patrick Johnston's projections is that by the year 2050, 79% of the missionaries out in the world will be people that come from the global south. Now, this is not to say, even though the pink color percentage of Europe has shrunk in the missionary sending force, this is only in percentage. The numbers could still be the same, except that in comparison to all the missionaries around the world, you know, the majority world are sending out more people. If we look at numbers in the next slides here, is that you, know, you will see that of the 300,000 plus missionaries, actually according to Gornwell, uh, Gordon Con uh, Conwell Theological Seminary, Christian churches would have sent out 400,000 missionaries in the year 210. And Brazil, India, and South Korea are the three countries from the non-West region. And then, um, but the newcomers today include South Africa, the Philippines, um, are sending a lot of missionaries now. Mexico, China, Colombia, and even Nigeria are sending many, many missionaries. So this will give you a picture of the people that are in the mission world today. Now, what is their cultural perspective? What kind of, 
you know, what kind of background do they come from? And um, my next um, slide here is taken from the Lewis uh, model. It's called the Lewis model of um, cultural types. There are three types, basically. The multi-reactive, up in the red corner, on the top of the triangle, are people from the multi-reactive multi background. And then the people from the um, linear active are the left-hand bottom corner of the triangle. And then on the yellow circle on the right side are people from the reactive culture. Let me just explain to you. Linear actives, they are people who plan, they schedule, they organize, they pursue action change, and they do things one at a time. They tend to be cool, they are factual, they are decisive planners. Germans and Swiss are in this group. And the UK is also close to that. The multi-actives people, they are lively, vivacious people who do many things at once, planning their priorities not according to a time schedule, but according to the relative thrill of all importance that each appointment brings with it. They tend to be warm, emotional, impulsive, and talkative. Latins, Italians, and Arabs are members of this group. And this will help you understand Ivan as well. Um, the reactives. Those culture that prioritize courtesy and respect, listening quietly and calmly to their interlocutors, and reacting carefully to the other side's proposal. They tend to be curious, amiable, accommodating, and good listeners. The Chinese, the Japanese, and the Finns are in this group. And um, so these are the kind of people um, that we see. And you can imagine that those uh, that come from the various cultures get together and try to accomplish a common task. It is like, you know, like world evangelization. You try to get all these people together. And George Verver, the founder of OM, always said that when there are two or three people who gather together, that is always a mess. And then if you bring people from different cultures together, you can understand the different uh, cultural um, worldview that these people bring with it. And, um, and in the midst of all this, keep in mind that cultural differences are not an accident. And allow me to explain. When God commanded human beings to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, the goal was that the descendants of Adam and Eve would spread out and separate from one another and over time develop their own unique languages and culture. And uh, this was God's intention for mankind right from the beginning. But somewhere along the line, we form groups, we form racial um, perspective, and then we separate people according to their language, their culture, and, um, and their worldview, and their values as well. And of course, you know, we are fallen human nature. And, um, and we all have our own differences, and because of that, it became more and more difficult for people to work together. So when we look at this world, the world has become very small. Globalization is not new. You know, it started 2,000 years ago with the Roman Empire, when Rome was once the superpower of the world. And then there was an Islamic empire that also influenced the way we do things today. And then after that, there were several other empires, the Spanish, the Spanish Empire and the British Empire. 
they came, um, and then after the British Empire, the American Empire um, came into being. And today we live under the influence of American Empire. What America has done, what this empire has done is that it has made the world smaller. America gave us airplanes and internet. And both of these have made the world small. When Hudson Taylor sailed from this part of the world to China, it took him several months on a sailboat. And that was a fast clipper boat that he sailed on. It took him several months before he arrived in China. Today, you can jump on the plane, and 14 hours later, you are in China. The world has become small, not just for traveling, but also communication-wise, it has become very small. Susan and I, when we were courting each other, and um, she was working in India, and I was at that time studying in Los Angeles, we would write to each other. And um, a letter would take two weeks from America to reach India. And then by the time she responded and they come back to me, a total time before I receive a reply would be four to five weeks. Today, if I send an email to somebody, or someone sent an email to me, and if I have not responded within 12 hours, he will send a second email and say, what happened? <laughs> and um, you know, the speed of communications have become so easy, and the world has become small. In 1960s, the expatriate community around the world, when airplane became, airplane travels became affordable for many people, the expatriate population around the world was about two million people. There were two million people in the 1960s who worked in countries other than their birth country. Uh, birth country. Today, it is estimated that there are over 250 million people working around the world in countries other than their birth countries. For economic reasons, for globalizations, the world has become small, and people are exchanging, and this number will only grow. So the question we, have, we ask ourselves is, how can we work together in a Christ-like manner? How can we disciple these people? And how can we influence them if we look in terms of um, what we're trying to do. So I have some suggestions here that I'd like us to look into. And our uh, next slide, if we go to the next slide. Oh, this talks about the culture still. Well, I, I was ahead of this. The next slide. Yeah, how can we work together in a Christ-like manner? Um, I have just um, listed down two or three suggestions. And the first one is that we must die to self. And um, there are at least two sinful behaviors that the disciples of Christ have to deal with. And these two behaviors is a major threat to unity in the Christian effort to work together. It is egocentrism and ethnocentrism. Now, egocentrism is the idea that the world revolves around us. It is about me. Everything that goes on is about me and my interests. And if it doesn't work for me, I would just tell the people it doesn't work for me. And that is egoism. And it's all about a person's interest and a person's image. The ethnocentrism is the notion that somehow our culture is more superior than the culture of other people. And if we as Christians, in the work of missions or in the, in the Christian work, 
maintain the two attitudes, the attitudes of egocentrism and the attitude of ethnocentrism, we will never work together in harmony and in peace. And these are the two biggest uh, threats to any unity. And the best and only solution to this tendency that I know of comes from Jesus himself. When he said, if anyone wished to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew chapter, chapter 16. I have a Jewish friend I went to school with, and um, he knew the Bible very well. And, um, and he would tell me, if it is important, God will mention it in the Bible once. But if it is very important, he will mention it two times in the Bible just to remind us, to make sure that we get it. And we see here that this same passage was also mentioned in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And hence, the first step to overcoming this carnal attitudes of egocentrism and ethnocentrism is to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of other people. When we do so, the Lord promised that he will give us grace. As it was stated in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but give grace to the humble. So for us to work together with people from other culture, the first thing that we need to do is to die to self. Clothe ourselves in humility toward one another. The second uh, area, as we consider how we can work together in a Christ-like manner, is to be teachable. When dealing with people from different culture and background, it is important to maintain the attitude of a learner. A learner can be young, can be old, it can be a new believer or a seasoned believer, you know, highly educated or not so educated but they will all be marked by a willingness to acknowledge their blind spots and the need to grow by learning how to do things different. When I first accepted the, the invitation to be the director on the Logos 2, one of the OM ships, and I was the first Asian, first um, um, Oriental, to, um, to lead the ministry of OM ships, uh, the, the Logos 2, and so the, the whole crew on board the ship, 200 plus people from 50 different countries, they don't know how to respond. And I came onto the ship, and on my third day in the dining room, you know, it's, it's, it's the central meeting place on the ship where we all met for a meal together. We would stand in line waiting for our food um, in the buffet line. And one German brother in his 60s, he came, and that was the first time I saw him. And he came straight to me, and in front of everybody, in a loud voice, he says, this is a mistake. And I look at him, I says, what is a mistake? And he says, to appoint you as a director. And I look at him, now if I don't know him, if I don't know the German culture, I will find that very offensive, especially someone who comes from a, a shame and honor culture. And I said to him, I said, what do you mean? And then he said to me, he says, no, this is a German ship. This is a European ship. It is a mistake to appoint a Chinese to be a director. And um, now, 
he was being direct, he was being honest, and that is consistent with the German culture. There is no malice in him. He simply said what, is, what was on his mind. Of course, he could be a bit more tactful, but, <laughs> um, but if I have not understood the German culture, I would have found that very, very offensive. And so I said to him, brother, this is my third day on the ship. Give me a chance. Come and talk to me a few months from now and let me know what you think. And um, well, a few months passed, six months actually, and then it was time for him to leave the ship. He completed his um, service with us and he was all dressed up because he was a professional seaman. And um, again in the dining room, and he came specially to, to seek me out to say goodbye. And so he came to the dining room, and again in a very loud voice, he said, it is a pleasure working with you. And he says, anytime if you want me back, I will come back and serve with you again. And uh, again, he was being honest and being direct. And he simply wanted to communicate that he had a good time on the ship. And, um, but if I had not understand the German culture, then I would have found that very offensive. When I took on the leadership of the Logos II, a friend in Singapore gave me a gift. And it was a small little plastic square, about maybe four inches by four inches. And it had a big red letter L in the middle of this white plate. And um, this is the plate that we will hang in front of the car and the back of a car when we learn how to drive to warn the people that we are dangerous, stay away. And he gave me the plate. And he said to me, wear this around your neck. And, um, and I wish I kept the plate. <laughs> um, but the thing is that what he's communicating to me is you go as a big learner and remind yourself that you are a learner. And um, so this, this, this is a reminder to ourselves that we are in the process of learning and growing especially when it comes to working with people from a different culture, people from a different background. The third area is the whole area of becoming informed. And this is very important in the Christian work. You know, when we go to a foreign land, when we send missionaries to a foreign land, we tend to emphasize that they need to learn the language. I think someone mentioned it this morning. We, we tend to emphasize language learning, but we neglect to learn their culture. You know, when only 20, 30 years ago, when you apply for a high position in a company, they will ask you to take an IQ test to see whether you're, you're mentally able, intellectually able to handle the job. Today, they also put you through a test called the EQ test to test your emotional quotient. And then they also put you through a cultural quotient test to see how astute you are in the whole area of culture and in Christian work. They also put you through a spiritual quotient to see where you are spiritually. And this is all part and parcel you know, of our, our ability to understand and to be informed. To, to know how to work with people from different culture, different cultural backgrounds, we need to develop skills in cultural exegesis in order to gain cultural awareness of other people. Just like we need to learn and apply various exegetical 
principles in order to interpret the Bible correctly, we need to acquire the tools of cultural exegesis to be able to understand and function effectively within different cultural environments. And uh, it is, as the more and more now, as the people grow um, in this generation, they are exposed to people from many, many different cultures. And they need to learn to work together and understand one another. The cultural env environment in the world has changed, and it has changed tremendously. And um, so when we do this, our cultural awareness of others will grow, and we will be better able to serve alongside these people. In OM, we have people that come from 95 different countries. And every time we meet together to discuss things, you could see that different people from different cultural backgrounds tend to have different persuasion. Um, so we, understanding people that you work with is very important. We need to read about them, understand their values, their worldview, and understand where they come from. And then the next item is that we need to keep in mind that it is God's work. And this is an important thing for all of us. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He says, be owners of nothing and steward of everything. And, um, and I think this is so true in the work. You know, we are, we, I don't own OM. I'm simply the steward of OM. And um, so this, the work belongs to God. And sometimes when we can, we can become so territorial, so protective, so defensive concerning our own ministry that we can actually become idols. Or, or they can actually become idols. That our ministry become the object of our worship. And, uh, and when they do, you know, we begin to serve idols rather than serving Jesus. And I want to give you a wake-up call. In the work of God, no one is indispensable. No one. Uh, not even I and uh, my job. You know, I see my role, my current role with OM as only temporary. You know, there will become a time that I need to step down from this responsibility and God will raise somebody to replace me. And uh, God is able to raise up and tear down those who think that the world cannot function without them. And I have seen this in many, many Christian work, talking to different people. And uh, some people will tell us, I cannot leave this work because if I leave, everything will collapse. And that is so wrong because in every Christian work, you know, we want to work ourselves out of a job. We want to train somebody, mentor somebody, that that person will someday be able to replace us. And to say that the work cannot function without us is a, is, is a very, uh, what do you call it, a skew uh, image of oneself. And um, I've seen this many times in Christian services. Brothers and sisters, we must acknowledge that ministries, the ministries that the Lord has given us, is a gift from Him. And we are called to be faithful stewards of the ministry that he has given to us. You know, I like what John the Baptist said. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given from him, or given him from heaven. In John chapter 3, verse 27. And his response to the ministry that was entrusted to him was, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. 
You know, everybody who is serving the work of the Lord, whether a leader or a follower, must consciously repeat this verse to themselves as often as possible so that the work which we have been called to can move forward unhindered. So keep in mind that the work we are doing and the ministry we are doing belongs to the Lord, and we are simply steward of the ministry. Now, why do we need to work together in a Christ-like manner? It's very simple. For the sake of the lost who will need to hear the gospel. Jesus prayed that we would all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that the world will know that you, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And, um, you know, I want to just close by sharing a, a story about the unity in Christ. And this, this came through a, a television um, pr- uh, program I saw. It's during one of the para, uh, what call Paralympic Games in Europe. Um, one year, I cannot remember when. And it came for a time where there was a hundred yard dash. And I think this, this Paralympic is one of the most democratic games in the world where men and women of all ages could compete together. So there were these this people there. They were standing in this line and um, waiting for the gun to go off. And then when they were ready, the man fired and then the, the gun went off and these people rushed down this hundred yard towards the finishing line. And they were just running in, in all, all style. And halfway through, a young boy fell and hurt himself. And, um, and then the, the runners began to stop. And they turned behind and saw that this, this guy has fallen. And they stopped the race and they all came slowly around him. And one girl was seen jumping up and down. Are you all right? Are you all right? Are you all right? And uh, they all gathered around him. They looked at him. And then as the camera zoomed in on this little boy or this boy that fell, and he got up, you know, brushed the dust off, you know, wiped the tears off, and then they all determined that he was all right. And then the next thing that they did was this, this group of um, racers was they locked arm together, and they walked together toward the finishing line. No, it was the, it was the you know, Paralympic. There was, there was gold medal waiting for the winner. But that race, no one won the gold medal. But everybody completed the race together in one group. And I thought that was very special because it, it does give us a picture of what it should be in the Christian work. That we are not looking for someone to finish a race alone, but that the body of Christ could finish a race together as one group. It is not about one person winning, but it is about everybody completing the game together. And when we look at the, um, the work and mission today, you know, we look at the pictures that I show you just now, and we see the increase of missionaries coming from um, global South countries. It is not about the declining of the Western church, but it is about the rise of everybody else. The Western church is still strong. I visited churches in this part of the world in Germany. I visited churches in America. They are still strong. But then the churches in the global south has now grown and rise and they are asking for a place to work together with the brothers and sisters from the west and in order to embrace these people we need 
to apply biblical principles in our attitudes that we will die to self, that it is not about us, but about the work of God. And we want to be learners, we want to be teachable, and that we want to be informed, and then together we can complete the race because the work belongs to God. It is not us. So brothers and sisters, I want to thank you all for your support of our ministry and especially for the work of OM. And um, I know there are many OMers here among the congregations and also in this church that are being supported by this church. And um, it is all about us working together towards a finishing line so that more people in this world will come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.